On today's episode, I sit down with Steve Spear, a man who in 2013 ran across the entire freaking country. Starting on the beach in California, Steve ran a marathon day. It it averaged out to a marathon a day. It was like 35 miles a day is what he actually ran with a day off here and there. So averaged a marathon a day until arriving in New York City 150 days later. This was a mind-blowing conversation for me. Even uh, got a little emotional at one point, you know, tears welled up. No tears fell. Let the record show. No tears fell. Bad for the image. Just kidding. Would have been fine. But anyways, love this conversation. Uh, got a lot of value out of it. Hope you guys will as well. Enjoy. So for anybody that uh, is listening that has not heard of you before, you're Steve Spear. You live in Illinois and you ran across the country a few years ago. Yeah. All accurate statements, Jake. And insane. All right. But before we get there, what, what are you doing nowadays? So um, I work with uh, World Vision. Um, we are a Christian humanitarian organization. We happen to be the world's largest, but I mean, it's a great one just because we're large doesn't make us great, but we, it is a phenomenal organization. So, um, and uh, we are, I mean, we're just fixated on lifting communities out of poverty for good uh, mm-hmm. in the world. And we're in a hundred countries and um, I serve in a leadership capacity, helping mobilize people and groups to say yes to lifting communities out of poverty for good. Yeah. And it started, a lot of that started with this run a couple of years ago, right? Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, World Vision has been around for seven years. Right, right, right. Sorry, yeah. your, your, your involvement with them. Yeah. Yeah, my involvement. Yeah, my wife and I, you know, we've been involved with World Vision. I mean, we've been married for 36 years. We began sponsoring children right after we got married. Okay. Yeah, but, and I was very content with writing a child and, and sponsoring and, and having a monthly donation. And I was content with that up until, yeah, about, uh, about 14 years ago when it took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's start with the turn we'll start a high level and then zoom in as we go. But yeah. where, when did the run take place? So the U S run was in 2013. So it, it began on April 8th, 2013 was about a marathon a day for 150 days straight and ended on um, September 6th, 2013. Oh, my God. all right. Okay. So uh, were you a runner leading up to this? No. That's oh, okay. Well, right. I, mean, I mean, prior to you, I mean, I didn't run a lick um, until 2007. So in 2007 is when I ran my first marathon. And then the U.S. run was in 2013. So it was uh, six years, you know, so I did, by the time I did the U.S. run, I, I, I guess I became a runner, but, you know, before 2007, you know, running was, running was just a complete foreign thought in my head. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's so wild because I, I do consider myself a runner. I've been running for a while. And even to think if someone told me right now, you've got to run across the U S in six years, I would say that, that seems daunting. Like you, <laughs> Even though I've been running for years, giving me six more years to prepare for it still sounds nuts. So the fact that you started in 07 and then jumped into it in 2013. I mean, well, that, that. Yeah, to be fair, if, if you would have told me in 2007 that I was going to run across in the country six <laughs> years later, I would have said, you're smoking something. There's no way that. Yeah. And I just, <laughs> yeah. And so for sure. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't revealed to me, you know, until around 2010 that it was even a concept because prior to that, I don't think it would have made sense in my brain. Not that it made a whole lot of sense, even when the idea first started germinating. 
Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, that's just right off the bat proves that there's, you know, this is a lot of it is a mindset game because there are so many people that have been running for long, much longer than six years that would still think no way. And heck could I like run across the country? That sounds insane. Um, so anyways, that you've got that. So t- 2010, you said that's when the idea came to you. Tell me about that. Were you on a run? In- yeah. So the idea came, so I, you know, I've been, I run, I begun running in 2007, ran some marathons. Um, uh, in May of 2010, uh, I was invited to and went and ran the Comrades um, Ultra Marathon in South Africa in May of 2010. And, you know, so the idea of putting one foot in front of the other had become a little bit more normal. Some longer distances had, had become a bit more normal. Um, but it was in November of 2010. I was on a run, to answer your question. I was on an innocent six-mile run. It was near my in-laws' home in St. Clairsville, Ohio. And I mean, I can take you to the literal patch of pavement that I was running when the thought dropped into my mind, the, the inspiring thought that I believe was from above. It wasn't audible, so I don't want to say anything weird like that, but it was a very distinct thought that simply said, Steve, you're to run across the United States for the good of others. That was kind of the exact phrasing. And it really freaked me out. I mean, I, I literally thought that had to be a product of a bad taco the night before. Like that, <laughs> that just, it's just so weird and unusual and freaky. And like, I, I was so, I think freaked out or weirded out by the thought. I didn't even tell my wife about it. You know, my wife and I have a very close, good relationship, but I didn't even say anything to her for like two months because I, because it's like, that's weird. Like just a weird thought, right? So uh, also, if if you were if you were already doing marathons and ultra marathons by this point, was a part of you worried that she would like she would get worried because she would say, "Oh no!" Like if Steve says this, he's going to do it. Our lives are going to change. Um, I don't. That's a really valid question, and probably a very valid thought. I don't know that that. I don't even think that I. I don't even think that I gave it that much thought. <laughs> okay, you're okay because it was just so no. I can remember, I do distinctly remember when I first voiced the idea to my wife. Yeah. How'd that go? My wife is, she's such a believer in people. She's a believer in me. So when I first voiced the thought, her first thought was, Dave, I totally think you could do that. Oh, wow. And, you know, now we had plenty of freak out moments after that moment. <laughs> yeah. So plenty of freak out moments, but her first, her first instinctive was that of support, of belief. And I believe you could do that. And, um, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have this idea in 2010, then you tell your wife a couple months later, when does it start to become a reality? Yeah. Um, it was probably, um, I often will tell people, um, I think any, you know, anybody listening to this has some, has a recent memory of trying to keep a beach ball under the surface of the water. You, you know, of course you push it down and, it pops back up again. You push it down and it pops back up again. That's exactly what I did with this thought, even after telling Francis for like the next 10 to 11 months. Um, I would just push it down and say, I've got a full-time job, got a great life. This is nuts. And I would just kind of almost push it down. But then it would continue to resurface this concept, this idea, this vision, if you will. And it was finally in the reading of a friend's book on faith, as a matter of fact, Mm-hmm. Um, he had written a book and he had asked me to read his manuscript and it was April of 2012. I'm reading through his manuscript 
And I'm like reading manuscript on faith. And I'm kind of going like, you are running from, you're running from something that I'm being called to do in faith. And it was in the reading of that manuscript that I, I said, I need to do this. This is, this is an obedience kind of a move. This is like, I need to step into this and not be gripped by fear. Mm. And so I, I literally, I can remember the day I was reading the manuscript sitting at the kitchen table and putting my arms up in surrender and saying, God, I don't get it. I don't get this. I do know this. You have called me to devote myself more to running and how running changes lives. And it seems as though the next expression of that calling, if you will, is a run from Los Angeles to New York. So I'm in. I don't get it, but I'm in. And so it was that moment in April 2012 where it became real. Then when I started talking about it out loud to a few individuals, you know, uh, over the next month, um, becoming a bit more public, how does this now gel with life? A couple of kids in college. Uh, a job. I mean, then it became really, really real once you start telling a few people about yes, it. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So that's that's when it started to become real. So you said April of 2012. April of 2012. Yeah. And you started the race when in 2013? One year later. So it was April. Uh, so April 8th. So about about a year. About you know when I had this more of this you know moment of surrender at the kitchen table. It was a just just almost exactly a year later that the run began. Yeah. Man, you talk about faith. Like, I don't see any other way a run like that could start. You know, I mean, you have to have faith that it's that you're gonna make it through. You have to have faith that you're gonna be okay. You have to have faith that the the reason behind it is worthy. You have to like there's faith is, you know, so for the people that are listening that don't believe in God, like just keep listening because I've heard a shorter version of the story and it's amazing to to hear how God used Steve in this instance. And of course I do. So like, I get it, but just in case anyone that's listening, doesn't believe like just hang tight. Cause it's really, really cool how things come full circle um, and how this faith plays into it. All right. So you, you had one year before this took off and you had like a million reasons to say no. It sounds like you just listed off a handful of them, right? Like you had so many reasons to say no. And out of faith, you took this step forward saying, I'm going to go on this journey. Let's talk about training. What the heck did you do to train for this? Like, how do you even train for that? Yeah, it's a really good question, you know, because, you know, you start doing some research on transcontinental runs and there's, I mean, there's data that's out there. There's not a lot. Oh, wait, um, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I, I'm just curious. How many people have done this before? So um, I, I believe, I mean, I believe I became the 278th person to do a successful transcontinental run since records were kept in Right around 1907, 1907, 08 is when records began to be kept around this kind of a thing. So, um, so it's a it's a small number, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, there's usually around somewhere between three and ten people who attempt per year. Okay. Um, and there's you know all kinds of all kinds of reasons why some of them don't <laughs> pan out, and I and I, <laughs> and I can tell you why. I can tell you a lot of reasons why. Yeah. Because um, we almost lived it. But um, yeah, so it's it's not it's not a large group of individuals, right? Um, yeah, I can imagine. I'm sure most people listening have never met somebody or even yeah. maybe heard of somebody. That's yeah. Right. Who, who in the world's nutty enough to try? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, it, it, I don't think, you know, what's really interesting is I have some of my colleagues where I was on staff, the church that I was on staff at the time was a fairly large church. And a few of my colleagues, one of my colleagues came into a meeting, um, kind of a smart aleck type, and he did some research and he said, hey, 
I actually did some research and found out that um, 10 times as many people have summited Mount Everest than have completed a successful transcontinental run. Wow. And, and he said, so good luck to that. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and no, it's not, as deadly, it's not as deadly as obviously a, a summiting of, of Everest expedition, but he said, it just shows you there's just not many people that are going after this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. 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 It was pretty, it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> um, but to go back to your question, training, you know, there just isn't a lot that's out there. And so um, I, we had to kind of land on a few things that we wanted to be true. And, and just because of the way that my mind is wired, I felt as if this thing isn't worthy enough if I don't run a marathon a day. It felt like in order for this thing to have some grit and to have some teeth to it, because, I mean, the goal was to raise, you know, the, the actual, the initial goal was to raise a million and a half for clean water. Mm. So the, the run ended up raising a half a million. But I felt like in order for this thing to have some teeth to it and to get some traction with individuals from a fundraising standpoint, something about it had to feel like unique enough. And again, doing the research, there was, you know, there, there were <laughs> running across the country isn't quite unique enough. <laughs> like you, you got to take one step more. Yeah. Right. So it felt like, okay, let's just, let's plan on, how can we plan on running a marathon a day? You know? And so what does the training then need to look like to support that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did, it was, I employed what many, you know, I'd run a ton of marathons and some ultras. So it's like, well, what do you do in marathon training? Well, you build up to run the marathon. For your longest run for a marathon training, you never run 26 miles for your, your longest run is a 20 mile run. Yeah. The longest run that I did for the 56 miles for comrades was 40 miles. And so my thought was, well, I need to run about 185 miles a week. So can I get, can I train myself up to run at least 130 miles a week and then kind of trust God for the difference? You know, cause you're, you, for a marathon training, you run up to about 80% of your final distance during training. So I thought, well, if I can run to 80% a week, then I just need to repeat it though by uh, five times four, 20 weeks. I just need to repeat it by 20 weeks. Um, okay. So, but 80, 80% per week for how many weeks before the start? Well, and again, how do you do that? So you don't wear out the body. That was the other thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so what we ended up, what, what we landed on was, um, is in the fall of 2012, after I made the decision resigned my position, did all some of the crazy life stuff, um, began a small team to help organize a bunch of the logistics around the U.S. run, you know, with, you know, sponsorships and all this kind of stuff. The training regimen was let's train for the fall in 2012 for what we call test week, which was the last week of December. So I did six marathons, six days in a row, uh, the last week of December in 2012. And the goal was let's do the test week and then see what we learn. How does my body react? All this kind of stuff. So that's that the fall training routine was that. Um, and did the six, did the six marathons in six days, made a, made a bunch, learned a lot. Uh, and then uh, we tweaked and adjusted training from January through March of 2013 based upon learning to be ready for the start of the U.S. run on April 8th, which um, so that, so that indeed it could be a marathon a day for across the United States. That was, yeah. that was the plan. What, what were, what was like maybe one or two things that you did learn during that six day trial? Yeah. Well, the, the biggest thing we learned was I got injured. Um, and so I, 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 uh, something tweaked in my right knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, uh, the, uh, 
the pot, the, the, the goal here, here was, it was a very simple goal after six days. Uh, the goal was to run six marathons in six days, get up on the seventh day and be able to run a seventh marathon without feeling like a pile of poop. That was the goal. Okay. Um, so I went out and did a short run on the seventh day and something tweaked in my knee. And it's like, okay, no big deal. I rested for a few days, went out a few days later, it still was hurting. We had an orthopedic uh, surgeon who was a part of the run family to help us with different things. I uh, had a general physician as well. And um, anyways, long story short, I definitely done some tweaking to the right knee. We did an M- MRI in January and it was like, um, you might have a problem here, which, oh. was, which was a problem because it's like, all right, what do we do now? And you had already quit your job. I'd already quit my job. <laughs> I mean, there was, we were so invested in this thing. You can't believe how invested we were. And it's like, oh, we're starting from the very beginning with an injury, right? Um, so anyways, uh, things, Lord was gracious. I, you know, I had to keep up my cardio. So I did a bunch of stuff in the pool, uh, you know, a bunch of bike stuff, a bunch, bunch of things in the pool. I uh, did a ton of workouts in February and March on a zero gravity treadmill, uh, which was made available to me, which was cool. Is and that one of those I, in the water? Is that No, it was a treadmill and you're basically, you're surrounded with a, a bubble of air mm. that lifts you off the surface of the treadmill. So you can still do the cardio and the running motion, but you're placing, you can, you can determine how much actual physical weight goes on your feet. Uh, and you're lifted. It, it, was, it was fascinating. Um, How'd you I, find one of those? Well, we, it was there. I mean, it was crazy because there's not that many of them, at least in the part of Chicago land that we live. Yeah. And, and, and as we found one literally four miles from our house. At oh, man. Office, um, and they let me use it free of charge. And I set the record. I, my, I did a 22 mile run on the zero gravity treadmill. Longest. They were all freaked out. The staff <laughs> watching me because they're going, who runs this many miles on the day? I mean, usually people come in to do some, you know, rehab work, you know, a mile or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this is just nuts. So anyways, the Lord was very, very gracious to my body and, and, and healing set in, kept up with the cardio. And, um, you know, fortunately that knee never became an issue at all. Other things became an issue, but the knee wasn't an issue. Um, and so the big learning from that, from our, you know, our orthopedic surgeon, he said, you know, the big thing that we need to do on, throughout the U.S. is we need to keep your muscles really, really happy because the thing that we're trying to avoid is a bone fracture. A bone fracture will bring your run to an end. So how do we keep your, from a bone fracture? We need to have your muscles super happy. So there's some major learning in that whole process that set up for great muscle happiness uh, along the U.S. run. So it was, it, but that was the, the biggest learning out of that test. Hmm, interesting. All right. So muscle happiness, you know, recovery is obviously a major aspect of this thing. So what types of methods were you using for recovery, both throughout training and then as we get into the actual run? Yeah, the two, I mean, they're very simple, very simple ones. I mean, hydration was hydration was key. You know, the, the, the operative word for the U.S. run is, was sustainability. I mean, any, not anybody, but you can train and go out and run 26 miles. But how do you do it the day after and the day mm-hmm. after the day after that? So sustainability in all facets became a key word and a key principle. So hydration was, uh, I, I stumbled upon a drink that, that worked really, really well for me, both with electrolytes, but then also with protein. Okay. And so that, I mean, I was just, I mean, as fastidious as a person could be with hydration, um, that was probably key point. Number one, 
And then the second one was just was foam rolling. I mean, I became a foam rolling fiend every <laughs> night, you know, painful, you know, but I would have a good 20 to 30 minute routine. Oh, wow. Okay. Rolling every night in the RV, uh, foam rolling. And those two, I mean, those were the two consistent things that I stayed, you know, right on top of. And, you know, that combined with what I do truly feel to be the hand of God, um, uh, just on recovery and, and, but those were two tactical things that worked well. Yeah. Were, were Norma tech boots around then? They probably, they probably were Jake. Um, I, but I, you know, um, they probably, I'm sure they probably were, I, they weren't around enough in my circles, you know, and I had a couple of, you know, I had a couple of, you know, I, by this point had, had, you know, come alongside some, you know, fairly well-known names in the, in the ultra world, but for whatever reason, if they were around, if they probably were, they didn't make their, their way into my world. So, okay. Uh, yeah. I tried okay. ice baths. We tried ice baths. We purchased, you know, we purchased all kinds of crap, you know, and, <laughs> Stuff we use and a bunch of stuff we just ah this is the work. But we thought oh we got like a kiddie pool and had it in the RV. We thought we'd throw it outside. You know when I finish the day's run and I do an ice bath. You know maybe I do an ice bath. I did that one time. It was there's just the logistics involved with getting the ice and getting in I'm it. Sure, it was just like okay, we we and, you know we tried a few other, but the 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 foam rolling was like the key in the, in the, in the hydration. And no massage gun. Like I'm so shocked that all you did was just foam roll and just stay hydrated. Yeah. I mean, I do. I mean, I have been, I mean, I, I've had, I mean, I'm 50, I just turned 58. So I was 50, you know, when the U S run happened. And I, so I, and I do run because of a lot of things that we do with world vision with encouraging people to run marathons and half marathons. I run with a lot of people and run with a lot of people younger than I am. You know, I have been, I, I have a fairly freakish body that doesn't get injured. So, I mean, I, I do, I have had people say, you know, you did stuff, which is good, but you, I mean, again, knock on wood, you know, I, I do have some gene that recovers quite well. Don't, okay. it, don't quite get it. Um, but I do recover quite easily and quite well. So that's nice. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I don't know that what I did would work for everybody that would try a U.S. run. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. Um, but that, yeah, Go ahead. yeah, that's, that's a gift. Okay. So let's go ahead and start then day one. What was day one? Like of the run, you had to have been feeling like nervous leading up to oh. it the night before. I'm sure like hardly oh, sleeping. I, mean, yeah. I, had, I had a couple of breakdowns a couple of days before the run. I had some pretty weak moments, pretty overwhelmed weak moments going <laughs> into it. Um, I remember my son, my son is uh, 30, is 34 and he was with us, you know, on the first leading up to the first day. I remember walking, we did a walk on the beach. We stayed, uh, right out Doc Weiler RV park. For those of you yeah, yeah. in the LA area is where we, the RV was ahead of it. Cause we started in Santa Monica, the run started on the Santa Monica pier. But I remember walking with my son the night before and I knew enough about the training. I knew enough what was ahead. I remember I, me- I said to him, I will not feel normal for probably the next five or six months. This is my last night of feeling normal because I just knew that, you know, you know this is going to, yeah, it's going to be a weird, a weird next several months. But anyway, but you know, obviously there was excitement. It's like any of us when we run a race, 
your first marathon, your first triathlon, your first, anytime we do anything, there's this mix of nervousness and excitement all bundled up together. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that I felt that, I mean, I felt very, very nervous, um, you know, very, very excited, um, you know, but, but very scared. And, you know, you know, all I could focus on was on, on day one. Um, all I could focus on on day one was day one. I, I wasn't thinking about New York. I wasn't thinking about making it through California and getting to Arizona and then getting into New Mexico and getting to Oklahoma. I was just thinking about, oh crap, I got today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, but it was a, you know, but it was, it was exciting. I mean, we had, we had family there. We had friends there. We had about 50 people at the beginning of the oh, run. Whoa. Okay. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, very ominous. I mean, it was a very windy, cloudy, very windy day on Santa Monica pier. Um, you know, I had a great opening prayer the day before a church of about 300 put me in the center of their church and prayed for my wife wow. and I and my family. So, you know, so I felt like geared up in that way. So it was, it was exciting, but then also very like, all right, this is, here's, here's reality. Let's, let's get after it. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, I'm going to start feeling good though. Did you knock out 26 miles on day one or did, did you average 26 over the course so the of the average was 26? My run schedule was, uh, my run schedule was 35 miles. I did 35 miles a day, uh, five to six days a week, just depending on the week. So we built in, we built in at least one or sometimes two non-running days. We felt that might help with the sustainability. We felt that it might also help with just keeping the fundraising energy because I needed to be on top of the runs. But since we wanted to raise some significant funding through this, this was not just a fiscal piece. You know, there, you know, and interestingly, we don't know this for sure, Jay, because we've not done all the research. But with the research that we've done, I think this U.S. run netted the most fundraising of any U.S. run that's been done in history. We, from what we tell. Wow. Um, we, we, we thought we had an idea a couple of years ago to have commission like a Guinness, you know, kind of a Guinness record. And, and, and but we just never got around to it. But, who knows? Um, but we don't I'm not aware of any other any other U.S. run that raised more than 500,000. Maybe somebody that's listening to this. If you find out somebody did, that's cool. <laughs> We're just not aware of one. Yeah. Um, so we did two non, one or two non-running days, and on Sundays the plan was for me to be in a church as I was crossing the country to be in a church and to speak, you know, speak on the run, speak on faith, you know, speak on going beyond, you know, kind of your limits, um, if if you will, um, and then invite people to be a part of this through prayer, through support, through financial giving. So, um, so anyways, with all that said, um, I you know, the average out, you know, twenty, you know. Uh, the, the goal was to average out 26 miles. Um, and then there were some days I did, you know, longest run day was 46 miles. So I did, uh, I did, I did some 40 plus diet, 40 plus mile days in, in the routine. Um, is that just because you were like feeling in the zone and said, let's capitalize on this moment or you planned that? Yeah. Part, part was feeling in the zone. Partly, um, when I was in Oklahoma, I caught the flu and, and was out <laughs> for a couple of days of normal running. And we, the run went, followed Route 66, went into Chicago, where we're from, and we had some big fundraising activities in Chicago. And I wanted to, I wanted to run into Chicago. I didn't want to like be like in Southern Illinois. And because we had to make date commitments for fundraising in advance, I didn't want to like, you know, be in Southern Illinois and then have to make the drive to Chicago, do the fundraising activities that we'd already pre-planned 
and then have to drive back to Southern Illinois and like run that distance again. Mentally, I wanted to like get to Chicago on time. Yeah. So there were some days in um, the first part of July where I logged some pretty decent mileage just to satisfy that mental gap. And, and fortunately we did and it was cool and we made it. So, so some of those longer days happened in uh, Eastern Missouri and Western Illinois. Okay. You ran from Oklahoma up to Chicago. Yeah. Like, did you add mileage? To we this? did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. It was not, it, I didn't, I didn't choose the shortest route. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what was the total mileage by the way? 3,081. Okay. Got it. Um, all right. So it, it, it averaged out to a marathon a day. You're, you're really cranking out 35, 36 a day. Yeah. How many days went by in the start? How many days did you make it until something went wrong? Um, uh, day, so it was day three on day, three, <laughs> okay. on day three was the first, you know, so I'd run the first, you know, running out of LA was day three was heading up into the mountains, you know, to, um, you know, to start the mountain pass, uh, in, in some, of, some of the stronger desert running. And on day three, um, uh, I had an appointment to meet a reporter from LA at a McDonald's before heading up into the mountains. And just before I was to meet the reporter, I'm running along, you know, I hadn't even started to be at the climb yet. And I felt something on my left, my left, uh, left foot on my pinky toe in my shoe. And I thought it was just, you know, a stone or something like that. I figured I'm stopping in a mile or two here. I'll just stop when I meet the reporter, take off my shoe, get the stone out, you know? And so I got to the, the McDonald's and took my shoe off while I'm talking to this reporter. And I looked down at my pinky toe, my left foot, and it wasn't a stone. It was actually a blister and um, a small a blister. Now, just because of, I don't know why I've done a ton of running prior to this training, marathons, ultras, training for the U.S. run. I've never gotten a blister. Blister was never part of my world. I just didn't get blisters. Mm-hmm. So this was very odd to me. Um, but I thought, okay, it is what it is. Long story short, over the course of the next four days, I had 10 blisters emerge between my two feet. Oh my gosh. And this was like, like, what the heck's happening? Like, this is like a new experience for me. But why, why am I getting this now? Right. I mean, this is just weird. Yeah, and, of course. Um, so, you know, talk to our physician. They weren't with us, but like, okay, all right. God bless. So do I pop? Do I don't, is it a pop? No pop. What, what, what approach do you take? Do you pop or do you not pop? And it's one thing, you know, if you get a blister at the end of a marathon, you don't have to run the next day. You just you know, take some time off. Well, that wasn't, you know, we couldn't do that. So blister care, blister care became a big deal. Mm. And, and so you know, what I would obviously do um, at the end of the day is, is, you know, make sure my feet were washed. Um, but as the blisters began to emerge and I'm running still, I put blister pads on before I would run. But then when I get home back to the RV in the evening, you know, when you're out there for, you know, 35 miles in the heat, the blister pads merge into the skin. So I would spend about an hour each night with my feet soaking peeling the blister pads off without ripping the skin. So this became this glorious task. Now, uh, at this point, we had a (laughs) very generous individual had um, hired a full-time coach, uh, an Olympic trainer, uh, who I was in contact with all the time. And I was like asking him, like, what do you, why do you think this is happening? He said, ah, probably nerves, probably stress, um, you know, 
and he said, you'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll callous up. Press on. <laughs> yeah. He said, Got no choice. Yeah. Press on Steve. You'll callous up is what he said. Yeah. Um, and, and I did, and we did, um, um, I did cut, I've got two, I, I still have the 10 pair of ASICs that, you know, I used across the U S and two of the ASICs, we had to cut slits, um, in the shoes just to give my room, my feet a little bit more room to, to, to expand beyond the shoe because of the blister problem. Um, that, that was, that was our fair, first big nuisance of the yeah. basically with blisters. Speaking of while we're on feet and you just said you cut the slits in, I know a lot of people do that for like the bad water. Uh, you know, 135, where your your feet are swelling like crazy. Yeah. Did you explain it? There, there's another guy who just ran across the country this past year. Uh, his name's Hella Sidibe. He's got a great story. And he talked about his feet swelling up to, I think he had to wear shoes that were two or three sizes bigger than normal. Did you have anything like that? Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, I had a good friend who was an ultra runner when I ordered, when we made, ASICS was, uh, ASICS was a, a corporate sponsor for us. So they were very generous with gear on all levels for me, for the crew. Um, and, uh, when I made the order in advance, I had a good ultra running friend who said, Oh, you definitely need to order several pairs, several sizes bigger, because I guarantee you're going to run into a problem and God bless him (laughs) because I did, uh, you know, my, I normally run, I normally run in an 11 and a half and I got some 12s and some 13s and we used them. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dude, what is that like, by the way, like waking up and your feet are swollen and you can't even fit into your own shoe, but you still have to go run 35 miles. Yes. And some of the things just sort of became normal and you don't even, you know, you just like, I don't even know that I realized, you know, like you kind of going, all right. It almost just becomes, okay, that's just what we're doing today. We're just, you know, some, some things became bigger deals in your head and other things didn't become bigger deals. That that wasn't one of them, because um, I think it just became like you know, it just became more normal. Um, but uh, I mean, it makes sense. You're out there for that many days, 150 days. You said, days. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's certainly been there's certainly people do the research. There's definitely been people who've done. You know, I early on I thought, well, what's the fastest? Well, who's the fastest that's ever done it? Well, then I realized you know, I did some research on the fastest. Um, and then, well, I'm not going to be the fastest, you know, okay. I can tell you right now, that's not going to be, that's my goal is not to be the fastest. My goal is to raise it as much money as possible, and, but to still have a fairly decent physical feat, you know, like to say I ran a marathon a day, um, you know, so there's definitely people who've done it much quicker than I have and people who have taken longer than I take. But, um, um, uh, you know, one of the books, if somebody's interested in books, um, running on empty, running on empty uh, by a guy named Marshall Yorick. Um, Marshall attempted to break a senior's record for the fastest U.S. run. Um, and his book, Running on Empty Chronicles, the journey, um, break the record. And that was, quite honestly, the best, it was the best resource that we had that I read that helped us not only getting in some good brain space, but from a logistic. How do you plan the logistics of this run beyond just the run itself? And his book was, was invaluable. It freaked us out. It freaked us out a lot because his run, <laughs> his run almost went off the went off the rails a couple of different times. And Marshall became somebody that I talked to, I get, got to know him, kind of thing, which is really great. But um, that's a great book for somebody that wants to read one on, on a U.S. run. I'm gonna check it out. I mean, you're I think the second person now to recommend that to me. So I've, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've got to go pick it up. All right, so his run almost went off the rails a couple of times. Like I, I'd love to hear the same about you. When 
tell me about your like worst day. <laughs> what was the worst day? Um, probably the worst day. I think the worst, like there was, there was several days of vain futility, wondering why I'm doing this. And, but the, there, there was probably two days I could choose between of, of the worst days. Probably the, the worst, worst day was in Southern Illinois. This was when I was trying to like make up some time. Uh, basically, I did seven marathons in, in seven days. The heat index was 115 plus during that particular week. Oh, man. So then July it was just horrible running, just horrible. And I think day five of that week, I finished in a parking lot of a, you know, a contractor, asphalt contract, some random parking lot along Interstate 55. <laughs> and I was just done, just done. And, you know, we put a, we put a chair out, you know, when I finished, we had this one chair that I would just sit in when I finished and the crew put this chair out for me. And I just sat in this chair and I was like, I was just completely defeated, dude. done Man. on every level. My wife was, she happened to be there and she just sat on the ground. I was in the chair. She held my hand. I don't think I said a word for like 10 minutes. I was just silent and just done. And then I remember saying to her, said, I said, babe, I'm done. I cannot do another day. I just can't. Um, I think this is where it ends today. And um, there was silence. And then she just she said, I think you can. I think God's going to resupply your energy for tomorrow. I think you can do this, baby. You can do this. I know you can do this. Oh, my gosh. And I didn't even have the energy to, <coughs> argue, to argue with her or to agree with her. Just didn't have it. But, but I just had to trust what she said was true. And so, you know, went back to the RV, did what I normally did, down a couple Dairy Queen blizzards. That was a that had become a pattern. I mean, <laughs> uh, it cooled my core and stimulated my appetite because um, I needed to eat a bunch each day. And, and the next day, um, uh, the next day, something pretty miraculous that happened. I, I, we, you know, I, 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 that day I finished, came back the next morning to that spot and I was still pretty broken. And I, a guy, a guy running with me that day, his name was Tim. And, um, I felt pretty broken and washed up and, uh, and he prayed for me as we began that next day. And, and he said, we just pray for a miracle. Anyways, long story short, three guys rolled up in their car from Chicago who came down to run with me. They didn't know where I was. They just thought I'd be along Route 55, Interstate 55 somewhere. And they randomly showed up and they were like, we're going to run with you today, Steve. And so we hope it brings you some encouragement. And so it was just like, there, was, there were so many little stories like that. Jake along the run, but that, that day, that end of that one day, you know, was the, was the bottom of the bottom. I had some other pretty deep, deep bottom parts, but that was the bottom, bottom. Day. So, and that was the only time that you said, I'm done. It was the only day that I said, I, I there are plenty of other times I thought this thing's stupid. This is <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But that was the, that was the day where I really felt like I, didn't really think I was going to be able to do the next day at all. Like it was the furthest thing from my mind. I think that's like, that speaks to the power also of 
the team when it comes to these types of things, your wife being the core team member right there. Um, You know, I think people who have done serious endurance events, they know that a team has to be involved, but I think people that haven't participated yet, um, they might see some of these types of feats and say, Oh, that person's crazy. Like I could never do that. But I don't, they, I don't know if they realize how crucial the team is to the overall success. Like had your wife not said that or, somebody else, but really just like, had your wife not said that, I mean, there might've been a good chance that you didn't run the next oh, day. Without a know? doubt. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, my wife is definitely support person number one, but there are just story after story after story across the United States of individuals that showed up at just the right time that was needed to kind of carry me through. Now, you know, about 80% of the run, we figured about 80, 85% of the run did was solo. It was a solo adventure. But at just the right time, just the right person or people show up that were that year, right? That team, you know, we had a great crew that helped across the United States. But you, you know, you speak from experience and wisdom, Jake. You're spot on with that. It is the team. You know, there's now, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. It also makes me think of that Bible verse. I'm going to butcher it, but something along the lines of like, God doesn't call people who are already equipped. He equips the people he's called to do it. And he was like equipping you along the way as you needed it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you need this today. I'm giving you this. Oh, you need this today. I'm giving you this. Like, yeah. The, the, the passage that really kept on ringing through and became quite real you know, in the, the New Testament of the Bible is in the book of Hebrews. It talks about faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then it goes on to talk about the fact that one of the things for those people that are individuals of faith, uh, the, the scriptures say that God made that which was invisible, he made it visible, which mountains, streams, trees, the kinds of things that we see around us at one point were invisible. And all of a sudden you realize as you, you know, flip through the pages of scripture, you realize that that faith is literally the act of taking that which is invisible and making it visible. And what we saw was God making himself visible to me through lots of different things, you know, across the United States, you know, people, um, you know, we won't get into, I mean, there's all, uh, there, there, I, there's an infamous story of the U.S. run of how God used a plastic bag to make himself visible to me, um, you know, kind of big ways and small ways, you know, monetarily through donations and all kinds of crazy things, but you're, you're exactly right. It, it is God coming alongside and saying, hey, it isn't really about you, you know, that was the one thing I had to like get a get get. You 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 can get a little you know in this kind of an endeavor you can kind of think oh it's all about me it's all about me and then you're humbled pretty darn quickly and you're kind of going you know what this is not about me at all <laughs> like this is not this is not about me this is about a higher calling a higher cause and and I often will say I did not choose to do the U.S. run the the U.S. run chose me. This thing chose me and I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but it was part of what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, had it have been about you, it doesn't sound like it could have happened, you know, because not only, I mean, like there are two sides to that. Like one, you needed something greater to keep you going. And this, this felt like a calling to you. And that I think helped propel you forward. But then you had those moments you said where you had like vain thoughts where you're like, why am I doing this? And then, so that, that sounds like it's reverting naturally. Like anybody would reverting to thinking like, am I crazy for doing this? 
well, people think I'm crazy for doing this. What if I fail? And, uh, and, and helped out. Cause obviously you, you came out of that mindset, um, cause you finished of course. And you would realize like, it's not about me. It doesn't matter what I think. Cause this isn't a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, that's like, <laughs> I don't know. I've never interviewed somebody else and across the country. So I'd be curious to hear what their perspectives are, but it doesn't sound like it can be done if it is about you. Like it might just not be possible. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And, um, yeah. All right. Heavy, but Hey, to lighten it up yeah. and I'm already feeling anxiety around having to end this conversation, uh, which sucks, but, um, on a lighter note, you said you had two, <laughs> two blizzards every single day. What was your nutrition like during this yeah. thing? Yeah. Well, definitely. I love dairy. So my, I, I tolerate dairy a little. And, and we found out quickly that, um, you know, well, you know, you, you know, this Jake, you, you, you obviously do endurance stuff and people that do longer distances and, or if you run a, a full marathon, usually your appetite takes sometimes a little bit to kick in your, your body has to settle from the, the actual event. And then, you know, before you're ready to like start really doing some serious refueling and it's like, man, I need to refuel quite a bit every day. So we found early on that uh, I love ice cream and man, ice cream cooled my core and then it stimulated my appetite so I could eat whatever I needed to eat that evening. So mm. blizzards, McFlurries, whatever the local thing was like that, where, I mean, it was just standard. And um, there's some really fun stories around Dairy Queen and gifts of Dairy Queen gift cards, and all kinds of fun stuff. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, but you know, um, I mean, it was pretty peanut butter and jelly. Um, yeah. We figured I, I ate about a thousand peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mid run. <laughs> PB and J's were a stock item. Um, you know, I went through phases of what I loved and had cravings for my wife. She said, I know you're not a woman and I know you've never had a child, but you, you demonstrate, I had like in and out of cravings like a pregnant woman might have. She, okay, okay. she said, she said that I didn't, um, but yeah. like early on it was Twix bars and it became Snickers bars. Um, uh, but chicken, I mean, the stock things every night, chicken, potatoes, um, you know, pasta, you know, some of that stuff. Um, those were, the, those are, you know, and just a lot of them. And I, we, I dropped, you know, I started the run at about 170, 170, I'm six foot. And I ended the run just a little over 152. So I did drop a bunch of weight. You know, I, okay. couldn't quite, I couldn't quite put down the number of calories that I needed to. I just got, you just get tired of eating, right? Sure. Um, I mean, how much were you, how many were you burning each day? Right around five to six thousand. Okay. Hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was the goal to take in. And my, you know, our body, and there's the thing, it's the, the body is so amazing. My body regulated what it was needing. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of settled in. You know, like you said early on in our conversation, um, it's about the mind. And much of this, obviously, there's a, a physical component, there's a spiritual component, but there's so much with the mind that what our mind can tell ourselves what becomes normal. But, um, but anyways, the food, yeah, food was um, PB and PB and J's and chicken and potatoes. Those were probably the the, the things that kind of were the most consumed. Yeah, for sure, yeah. a thousand PB and J's. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible, man. All right, so we had your first day, your worst day. Yeah. Tell me about the last day. How did that feel? What was that like? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, you know, I finished. You know, finished the day before the last day was. You know. You know, it's kind of how do I how do you want to finish? Like, what 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 do I want the run to consist of? You know, so I I the second to the last day ended just on the west side of the George Washington Bridge, you know, outside of New York, 
And so that was intentional because I wanted to like have kind of some epic sort of moments in that last day. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of good friends, you know, uh, met me and, and uh, ran, you know, uh, portion of that day. And so, I, yeah, it was going, George, you know, going crossing the George Washington Bridge, um, you know, heading, you know, running down through Harlem, um, you know, down through Manhattan. Um, and then probably about eight miles from the finish was along the, the, the path that runs right along the Hudson there by the Chelsea Piers. Um, had a group of about, I don't think, 30 or 40 uh, World Vision runners, team World Vision runners that joined me. Okay. Uh, had a moment with them. And then, you know, my, you know, my kids. Um, yeah, and then, then making my way down the last four to six miles was just right along the Hudson. And there, uh, as I got closer to Battery Park, you know, more and more people were there. My wife drummed up any living, breathing being that was along the path right there. <laughs> My husband is finishing a run across the United States. And so we yeah, had yeah, yeah. people that we knew and people that we didn't know that kind of helped, you know, um, you know, kind of, you know, bring me in. So the, the last day was, uh, I think it was about maybe 15 or 16 mile run. Okay. And it was really interesting because my body had been so become so accustomed to like, 35 miles. I mean, my first thought was when I finished was like, I got more in the tank. You know, what's, you know, I, I mean, I was, <laughs> so wild. I was so happy to be done. Yeah. 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 I was so happy to be finished physically, emotionally and everything like that. But it was like, it was like this weird, odd physical feeling. Like I feel great. You know, like I, <laughs> It's not like I crossed the finish line. It wasn't like, you know, I crossed it. was like, Oh, I just dropped down. It was like, you know, it was like, uh, I was very, very glad to be done obviously but it was it was a great it was a really really fun a really really fun last day and then we had a big party afterwards in a local restaurant and um yeah it was good oh man so good that had to just be one of the greatest feelings oh in yeah the world. It, was, it was you know it was it was a very yeah and we had again family was there um uh and and some great friends and you know so it was it, it was a really good it was really Mm, man what a cool story and then how long did you take off before you ran again um well we it was very intentional Our tra the trainer had me on a very uh, very strict um because I, I ran a fair amount after because he was very concerned that was building up that much running within my system we didn't want things to get weird so i had a really intentional paper so Ooh, okay I, um yeah so i i definitely i i you know if i was uh, at that point, I was running, um, you know, 100, and, you know, 170 to 180 miles a week. You know, so the next week I tapered down to like 100, and then I tapered down to 70. Okay, I, so I had an intentional taper. Um, and matter of fact, I, I was I was back in New York two months later and ran the New York City Marathon. Um, you know, just because it was part of the taper. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is cool. Probably like a cakewalk also at that point, but. Um, Man, that's funny. And also just the idea of like having to still run a hundred mile a week after you finish running across the country seems insane. But yeah, and I, I have no, I have no idea if, you know, again, we didn't, a lot of this, we were sort of making it up. Sure. Yeah. Right. You know, somebody, again, it seemed, it, it made sense, like physically and our physician was saying, yeah, it's probably a good idea. We don't want your system to get too jacked around and, and cause problems. It's like, I was like, okay, sounds good. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, you were used to it. It was that had been your life for like the past almost four months at that yeah. point. So yeah. yeah sure. All right. Um, man, well, Steve, thanks so much just for sharing that story and letting me hear it and the listeners hear it. I mean, it's just so impactful, man. I'm so just grateful for this moment, for this opportunity to chat and hear it. Um, and for anybody. Anybody that wants to listen to it a little bit more, he's uh, he's been on some other podcasts. I listened to that one with the plastic bag story, which is really cool. Um, I think you can just type in your name, right? Probably on any platform and you can listen to some other stories. Steve Spear. Um, before we before we depart here, you got any other things on the horizon or have, have any of these other uh, sort of thoughts or callings? come to mind i mean not like you need another one i'm not saying that just I, i'm curious yeah yeah you know i i don't know i mean i i definitely i'm definitely an individual you know where i, I want to go uh, movement you know I, I've, I, I've i've sort of been a big fan lately of the thought you know it's not so much how far you go or how fast you get there but it's one foot in front of the other so mm. i think i just want to be a continual advocate you know so obviously so i'm i'm obviously thinking through ideas i have to be careful you know be uh you know uh you know what what those are and and um uh you know but i definitely have i don't have anything you know other than saying all right i want to be faithful to running you know two or three different marathons and you know this year um you know i i do think thoughts about you know state you know other states and and you know different different kinds of things but um you know but but i always i try to be measured as well and not don't fall prey to like, oh, I need to do something bigger or better or, you know, crazy. Just like, hey, it's, I just want to be faithful with one foot in front of the other, encouraging people to do one foot in front of the other and to also encourage people to not be held back by boundary thinking. You know, be, let's step beyond some of those things. Um, you know, I think like, you know, yeah, how far can you go? Just to, to be pressing beyond some of those stuff. Um, so, um, uh, I know that wasn't like a clean, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a double Iron Man, <laughs> uh, which is fascinating, you know, by the way. Um, I, yeah. But I've done two, you know, so, um, yeah, just stay moving. Just stay moving, Jake. That's all I want to do. Just stay moving. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and I like, you know, ever since 2010, I, yeah, and I can't say that I, this is always true with me, but but I part of my goal is to always be marathon ready. Can I be in a place of fitness to where if somebody said, if you said, Hey, you want to go run a marathon this weekend? It's like, Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. That's not always true, but I, I like to, I want to stay moving to that degree. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. You know, when those long runs and rides become a part of the regular routine, like it sounds like you're this way, but I start to cherish those times and, I ditched the headphones maybe six months or so ago. And yeah. for me, it's just this peaceful opportunity that you don't it get is, really much. There is something about that. Like, you know, I know plenty of people who would love to fish and they get up at the crack of dawn to go fishing. Yeah. It's never been me. I will get up at the crack of dawn to go for a three or four mile run. Right, right, right. Ridiculous to a lot of people. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but there's something about you just when you said peaceful, there's something about that. Where you're kind of going, I don't, yeah, there's something to it, you know? And yeah, it's a little weird. Totally. Well, I, I appreciate those, that like wisdom about um, not letting yourself be confined by boundaries. And I think that ties in very nicely with 
your definition of, well, the biblical definition of faith that you mentioned earlier, which is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And I think that's what probably trips a lot of people up talking about boundaries is because it's tough to per- pursue something that you can't envision. That's so true. Man, you nailed it. You nailed that. That's good. <laughs> I mean, you said it, but I'm just thinking through it, like being certain of what we cannot see. That's uh, it's a big step, but it's a good one to end on. So Steve, thanks again, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, Man, I wish we didn't have to jump, but we got to keep this conversation going. I would love to just continue chatting with you over time and getting to know you better in the future. And hopefully, hey, if you if you got time on the calendar, you want to come join us for that half Ironman for the anti-trafficking. Oceanside, come on, tell me, let's keep it going because Oceanside half iron. Okay. All right. Sounds like a really good time. I'll send you the details and we can think through it some more. So cool. All right, Steve, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Good talking to you. All right. Adios. I truly hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. And if you found the show valuable, I'd encourage you to rate or review us on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. Each rating goes a long way and helps us to spread our message to more people looking to build up their endurance, people like you, people like me. And if you'd like more info on me or our charity endurance team, catch me on Instagram at it's Jake Savage or visit teamai.org. Until next time, keep pressing on.